Tanya for the 26th of Tamil refers to the story. The Chabad Rebbe's in general were very against having debates. Um, people that had problems with Judaism um, and getting into a whole debate to convince them or not convince them. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't the way of the Rebbe's of Chabad. And they, would, they actively discouraged people from doing it. They, in fact, they, they would say that we are, we are day workers and our job yeah. is to add light through the teaching of Chassidus, not to fight darkness. We don't need to fight darkness. We just need to add light. A little bit of light could chase away much, dark, much, much darkness. There was a young Chassid who was once being harassed by the local members of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a, a movement that was very anti-religion and very into thinking for oneself, per se. And they made it very, very difficult for this young man. And he came to the Semach Sedek and he told Semach Sedek, you know what? How about I just get into a debate, from, debate with him? It seems like he was a bright man and he could hold his ground. And the Semach Sedek told him, absolutely not. Do not get into a debate. So he said, doesn't Pirka obviously say you have to know how to respond to a heretic? What's the use in knowing how to respond to a heretic if you're not even going to respond? So the Semach Sedek answered him back. When the, when the sages teach us to know how to respond back to a uh, heretic, he's not telling us, the sages aren't telling us to respond to another heretic. They're telling us, know how to respond to the heretic within inside oneself. And through a padam ma, the word ma comes from, as we learned in the Tanya earlier on, that ma is koyach ma, it comes from chachma. That through a person having this humility, the chachma type of humility, the person is able to achieve this type of wisdom that's able to enable him to give him the strength to fight against his inner, his inner heretic, let's call it. And another story, there was once two chassidim that were sitting down and discussing someone else. And they were talking about a man who had very, um, he had left the path of Judaism in a, in a very extreme and dramatic way. And they said, it's such a, it's such a pity. One of the people, people said, it's such a pity, you know, what his life has become. Another person said, you know, no, it's not a pity. This person is so bad. He's such a wicked man. There's, there's no pity to be had. And Torah would definitely not, the, you know, Torah would not, definitely not put any place of, uh, any type of pity for such a person like this. The other person happened to be walking by, the author of that time. He heard this conversation and he heard the person saying that there's no pity to be had. And he said, exactly the opposite. He said, if this person's the type of, person that even the Torah doesn't give the ability to qualify some pity in that person's life that's the greatest reason to pity him if Torah won't even give the ability for, for you to pity that person well then you surely should pity that person the Tanya so far we're in the middle of chapter seven and we talked about not not just um, how shuvah works and sinning works and fixing it works, etc. But how does a person get himself into the mindset of shuvah? And we said, number one, a person needs to arouse pity on the soul. When a person starts to think about what the ramifications of their sinning has done to their godly soul, well, they'll say, well, this is this is really bad. This is really this is a dreadful thing that I've done. I need to firstly start to feel pity. And when he starts feeling that pity, or he starts to have a real mindset of shuvah because he starts to realize what how lowly he's dragged his godly soul. Second thing a person will put a person to the mindset of, of doing to show is when a person crushes his arrogant spirits, when a person does a sin, that sin causes him to, to, to lose a sensitivity that a person is supposed to have towards godliness. When a person wants to do teshuvah, well, step number one is crushing that um, arrogant spirit. Um, so how does a person crush their arrogance? He wants to now be sensitive to God. The sin made him desensitive. Now he wants to put himself back into the spirit of Shuvah. He says, well, I need to make myself sensitive again. How do I break myself? So the Altar says, well, 
let me explain it to you. And this this um, echoes something that said, well, that we mentioned in the first book of, of the time in regards to making a person how a person can find joy. A person could do a little part of this through fasting and through um mortification, which we talked about earlier on in the first um, chapters. But but there is no ayla to ain't lana kayak the sanus habik of a malakamakin. In the olden days, like for example, David Hamathonak was a person who literally crushed his ego from within himself. His evil spirit was literally evil incarnation was destroyed through fasting. Nowadays, says Alter, we are not unable to do this. We can't break our spirit from fasting. So how do we do it nowadays? Nowadays we do it through mental exercise. Breaking ourselves through through fasting is highly, wildly inappropriate nowadays. So what we do is we sit down and we think. And by thinking about our life, we're able to have a reflection that crushes ourselves by way of just our thoughts. Like we said earlier on in the time in the first book, by being a master accountant, a person goes through his day and goes through his life and starts to think about the actions he's done. It's a mental exercise purely, but a person could really crush himself like this. And he starts to think about everything. What could have been better? What he messed up entirely? And as he goes through it, think about the ramifications on his godly soul, on God himself, who is dragged down to whatever um, mishaps that he's done throughout his day, throughout his life, throughout his week. And that will that will that will crush him. He spends an hour um, at night before taking chatzos. So he wakes up in the middle of the night, sits down, and he starts to think, and, and actually has a, a, a an honest calculation of his life. What did he do that past day? What did he do that past week? And how did he accomplish that in a healthier, successful way, or in in a detrimental way? And what detriment did he cause to himself and his godly soul? And what he realizes when he thinks about the things that weren't so perfect throughout his day, and he realizes he caused Hashem to go through this all, he brought an exile of Hashem's presence, and he brought the Hashem's presence into demeaning, horrible places, and worse than that, he made his soul, his godly soul, a vehicle to the impurity that he was involved in. He had a a, a, a pork sandwich. Well, he dragged godliness into that, and he made the, his godliness a vehicle to the impurity that's now being siphoned by way of the pork sandwich, as explained in yesterday's Tanya. And this explains something that we that we that we say that um, wicked people during their life are called dead. Why? Because the energy they're getting is dead energy. In a healthy living person is getting his energy by way of his divine soul with no interruption, like a rope without any um, 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 scratches or bumps on that rope. When a person does a sin, well, they're taking that rope, they're connecting it to something else, and they're getting it by way of that. That's a dead energy now, because it's going by way of evil, it's going by way of, of, of impurity. During their life, they're getting their energy, they're getting their life form, not in a healthy life form way, but in the way of death and impurity. And the altar is now going to finish off with one idea, kind of uh, accentuating and um, 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 amplifying this concept. This is in the, originally in the brackets in Natanya. We say that God, the, the dead don't praise God. The dead won't be, uh, don't pray. The, the, we say, why should Hashem give us a life because the dead don't praise, the, the dead don't praise God. 
We're not insulting them. We're saying, well, listen, we're able to make praise to God, but dead people can't make uh, praise to God. That's, that's very insulting to dead people. Dead people have feelings because they're, they're very much in touch with us. And we're, we're just mocking them. Oh, well, look, we could say praise to God, but you can't say praise to God because the praise of God that's in this world is so much more powerful. So it just sounds like we're mocking dead people. When David Amalekh is saying how great it is that living people could praise God, he's saying living people are people during their life who are actually considered um, living. Dead people, who are the, their people that are receiving dead energy and their life is not really considered proper living. These are people who live a life of, of evil thoughts. And, and they stay in their wickedness and they don't do it and they live a life where they're just siphoning off negative energy instead of getting their energy in a healthy, happy, straight way from God. And in conclusion, a person could break himself just by thinking. In the olden days, it had to be done by, by a person fasting, by a person putting him, hurting himself to put himself in that place. A lot of says nowadays that's inappropriate. Nowadays, a person should just sit down and dedicate time in his life to be a master accountant and say, listen, this is, this is my life. And when and these are my actions that I've done, and these actions have caused real ramifications to my connection to God. And the more a person has to think about, it, the more broken they'll be. Thank you so much for joining the tiny, tiny celebration. Have a wonderful and very successful day. Thank you so much for joining.